This podcast is brought to you by Erickson Immigration Group. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today we have the Director of Training and Legal Support for Catholic Legal Immigration Network, an attorney that has directed the National Immigration Law Center for 10 years and is the author of A-List Focus on the Child Status Protection Act, Charles Wheeler. Thank you for joining. Sure, glad to be here. This may sound rudimentary, but in order to lay out some structural foundations for this discussion and your work, who classifies as a child when defined by the Immigration and Nationality Act? Sure, let me start with that one. That's a great starting point. A child is defined as someone who is unmarried and under 21 years old. Uh, And that could be to a US citizen parent, it could be to a permanent resident parent, or it could be to somebody who is actually seeking permanent residency. So once that child turns 21, or once that child becomes married, Uh, that person is then classified as a son or daughter. Uh, The other issue that comes up is a derivative child. So derivative is defined as the spouse or the unmarried child under 21 of the principal beneficiary in the preference categories. And that could be in the family-based or it could be in the employment-based categories. So obviously, once that child marries, that child is no longer a derivative, or once that child turns 21, that child is no longer a derivative. Uh, So those are the important distinctions. Uh, And the Child Status Protection Act obviously uh, was enacted to try to preserve that definition of child, even though the child has turned 21. Cool. Sounds good. Can we get into the core purpose of the Child Status Protection Act and what it was trying to achieve? Sure. If you go back to 2001, when it was enacted, back then there were a lot of long backlogs in simply processing the first stage. Uh, In other words, the petition, whether that be an I-130 petition or an I-140 petition. So years could go by before that petition was approved, which meant that the child who might be the direct beneficiary of that petition or might be a derivative beneficiary uh, could have aged out. And when I mean aged out, turning 21 automatically back in those days meant that the child moved into a different category, uh, was now no longer immediate relative, for example, uh, or moved in from the immediate relative to the F1 category. These are the sons and daughters of US citizens, uh, or probably even more importantly, aged out of the F2A, which is that category for children, unmarried children of permanent resident aliens. Now they become the unmarried son or daughter of a permanent resident alien. Uh, which requires them to wait uh, several years longer before they're eligible to immigrate. So what the CSPA did was say, we're not going to penalize the child during the period when the Immigration Service is adjudicating that first petition. Uh, We're going to basically freeze their age during the period of time that that petition is pending. Um, So it kind of creates a level playing field, obviously, The child has no control over when that adjudicatory process takes place or how long it takes. And uh, these petitions were being adjudicated by different immigration service offices and different service centers around the country. A lot of them had different backlogs and different priorities into when they would adjudicate certain petitions. So it really wasn't fair uh, to the uh, child applicant. Right. You wrote one of the most seminal books addressing this issue. 
What brought you to the point of deciding that something like this needed to be created as a resource for immigration attorneys? Well, I am a, a nerd, um, so I fit within your category very <laughs> easily. Yes, uh, I one like, of us. Uh, yeah, so I like uh, digging into issues that uh, some people find a little bit more complex and, and burdensome. Um, I'm attracted to mathematical computations, for example, and logic. So, uh, and frankly, the real reason is I got tired of answering all these questions from people who would call up and and uh, want to know whether their uh, child had uh, aged out or not. So it's just simply to inform them of this as part of our trainings on this issue. So when those calls came in, what were a few of the reoccurring questions, issues, or grievances that you would receive? Well, so the CSPA, I guess you could say, is divided into various chapters, as my book is. And probably the most important and really the easiest, most fundamental principle is if you are an immediate relative, in other words, you start out as the unmarried child of a US citizen parent, that's really the critical one, then you will always be an immediate relative. In other words, it doesn't matter how long it takes for the petition to be pending uh, before it's approved, your classification as an immediate relative is frozen. Uh, therefore, if you understand the F1 category, which is sons and daughters of U.S. citizens, that never, you never convert to that F1 category if you start out as an immediate relative. And you can start out as an immediate relative, in other words, you're under 21 and your U.S. citizen parent files a petition for you, or you can move into the immediate relative category if you start out as the unmarried child of a permanent resident alien, but that parent naturalizes before you turn 21. So you've got a petition on file, you're in the F2A category, your parent naturalizes, you are now an immediate relative and you will always be an immediate relative. Uh, the only thing that you can't do is get married. Uh, then you are no longer a child for any purposes. So that was probably the most fundamental and the easiest issue to explain uh, and deal with. The other issue is far more complicated uh, and makes people a little anxious because they have to use a mathematical computation. Uh, but I try to explain that this is really fairly basic arithmetic, really, and not something that they need to get uh, too concerned about. And that is the issue if you are a child in the F2A category, uh, but you turn 21. Uh, now, under the law prior to the CSPA, you would have converted to the F2B category on that day. Um, so what happens now is that the child can subtract all of the time that the petition was pending before it was approved. Um, so the good news is that for the last two years, the F2A category has been current. And as long as it's current, um, that means that F2As are basically treated the same as immediate relatives. In other words, uh, if you are current when the petition is approved, that means that your priority date is current. Uh, and that means that all of the time the petition uh, was pending can be subtracted from, from your age. So basically, you are the same age you were when the petition was filed. And once that petition is current, 
or once, once the priority date is current and the petition is uh, approved, that means you can take the next step. So if you're eligible to adjust status, uh, you do that. Uh, if you're eligible for an immigrant visa, you go that route. But nevertheless, your age is frozen as of the date the petition is approved, um, which means that there's only one other thing that you must do, and that is you must seek permanent residency within one year. So this same principle applies even if the F2A category is not current, but you have to do a little bit more of this computation. Uh, so let's say you filed the F2A petition for your child, uh, and that child, of course, is under 21. Uh, then the, uh, when the petition is approved, let's say the F2A priority date is not current, then you have to wait for that priority date to become current. And it's on that date that the adjusted age is calculated. So you have to remember the adjusted age is calculated on the date that the petition is approved or the priority date is current, whichever occurs later. So right now we don't have to worry about that because the filing, the approval date uh, is after the priority date becomes current. It's always been current <coughs> during the whole period of time the petition has been pending. So it's pretty easy. But otherwise you have to actually measure that period of time it was uh, pending. Let's say six months, let's say one year. And you subtract that from the child's age. Um, I like to essentially add that to the child's date of birth to arrive at an adjusted date of birth. And then I simply add 21 years to that. Um, so that is the magic formula. It's not all that complicated. Um, and as I say, it really is not even used for the F2As now while the F2A priority date is current. Uh, the real focus is on the is on one year filing requirement. The other issue though comes in with derivatives. You're a derivative in the F1 or the F3 or the F4 category. Uh, then you measure the whole period of time the petition was pending before it was approved and you subtract that from your biological age to see on the date when that F1, F3 or F4 priority date becomes current. Um, and that gets a little tricky because if you have aged out as a derivative, uh, you don't convert to any category. You simply lose all immigration status and have to start over uh, when your parent or the principal beneficiary becomes a permanent resident and files a petition on your behalf. Okay, so if a parent is naturalized and the child is now over the age of 21, what category does that child now fall under? Well, that's... That's really the million dollar question because there's a split in the circuit courts as to how that is defined. So you have basically uh, three choices. Let's say you're in the F2A category and you're waiting for your uh, priority date to become current, uh, or let's, uh, let's stick with that, and your parent naturalizes. If you are under 21, you would convert to the immediate relative category. That one's pretty simple. But what if you are in the F2A category, but your uh, parent naturalizes, uh, you're holding on to that F2A status uh, because of your adjusted age, right? 
So let's say the priority date becomes current or always is current, petition is approved, and now you're en route to filing for adjustment of status or consular processing, but the parent naturalizes. Now, what is your classification? Well, the Board of Immigration Appeals said, you convert to the F1 category. Why? Because your biological age is what controls. You're over 21. You're now the <coughs> unmarried son or daughter of a US citizen. But the F1 category is backlogged a lot farther than the F2A category. So you would have been much better off had your parent not naturalized. Um, so in that case, some practitioners were taking the position that, well, you can opt out of this conversion to the F1 category if you're in the F2B category, right? So that's wonderful because a lot of times the F2B category is more current than the F1 category. It's more advantageous. So that's one of the things the CSPA does is it doesn't uh, punish you when your parent naturalizes, <clears throat> but that assumes that you're in the F2B category. <clears throat> so when you're in the F2A category, it seems like you've got a dilemma here uh, and you now don't have any options. Well, what the Ninth Circuit and another uh, circuit court have also agreed is it's not a matter of opting out or not opting out. If you are under 21 using your adjusted age on the date the parent naturalizes, then you are, it's that adjusted age that controls uh, and you are in fact an immediate relative. So that protects people in certain circuits in the United States, but it doesn't protect everybody. So we always advise practitioners to be very careful uh, when they're naturalizing a client and what effect it might have on a child who wants to retain that F2A category. Understood. At that time period, it sort of falls under an unclear gray area. And in that case, you don't want to leave a child in a limbo status. So what major provisional changes have you witnessed over the years covering CSPA? Maybe some significant changes that you needed to be updated in a more recent edition in your book. Well, the book has not really been updated for purposes of any congressional changes. What the changes have happened are really interpretation of the provisions, mostly by courts. So you had a Supreme Court decision that interpreted one of the provisions, which was really poorly drafted, which says that if you are a derivative uh, and you using your adjusted age, nevertheless have aged out of that derivative status, you automatically convert to the appropriate visa category and you retain your priority date. So what does that mean? Well, it's kind of conflicting or contradictory because if you automatically convert to another category, then no additional petition needs to be filed on your behalf. Therefore, the whole notion of retaining an earlier priority date is confusing and irrelevant. Um, well, this, a lot of practitioners took the position that, let's say you are a derivative in the F3 category. In other words, uh, your uncle filed a petition for your father, you are a child, that's the F3 category, uh, you age out of a derivative status because you turn 21, even using your adjusted age on the date that priority date becomes current. Now, what is your classification? Well, they were saying 
that you automatically convert to the appropriate category and you retain your priority date. Well, now what are you? Uh, you are the son or daughter of a parent who is about to become a permanent resident alien. That would put you in the what F2B category and you would retain that earlier priority date that was filed on behalf of your father, uh, which saves a lot of time. If you're starting all over again in the F2B category, then you've uh, lost years of time that otherwise uh, uh, would be added up and, and you have a much more favorable priority date. That isn't how the Supreme Court interpreted that, unfortunately. What they said was this provision, as poorly written as it is, could only pertain to the F2A category, not to any other categories. So they said that there is no appropriate category that you convert to when you age out of being a derivative, unless you're in the F2A category, in which case, what do you convert to? You convert to the F2B category automatically. No additional petition needs to be filed on your behalf, uh, and therefore you retain that earlier priority date. Right, which is one of the more unique portions of your book, that it does go over specific interpretations of the courts, which is a valuable resource for anyone studying the direct text of a case. The interpretation or meanings does not always jump straight off the page. So our group of immigration attorneys appreciate you doing a large portion of the legwork in these editions. In fact, when is the next edition coming out? Well, the American Immigration Lawyer Association publishes this book and other books uh, we've written. <clears throat> so I think the next timetable is December for an updated version. Usually they try to aim for updated versions every two years. Uh, and the last one was uh, 2019. So to 2021, I'm under an uh, agreement to update all the relevant changes and coming out with a latest version. Perfect. We'll all be sure to stay tuned for that. Charles, I appreciate you taking time out to give us an absolute masterclass on the inner workings and legal nuances surrounding CSPA, and it will be very interesting to see how this act progresses moving forward. And if there's any other future provisions that are updated, we would gladly have you back for a second round. Great, Ian. Thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity to explain all this to your listeners. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter at IMMNerds and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.